There's a story of uh, a man who lived in the 19th century. Uh, We'll call him Boxer. Uh, Boxer had fallen on hard times. He didn't have much of a job. He had no savings. And he was planning to make a trip from his home up in the north all the way down to the south in New Orleans. And his plan, once he got there, was to start his life over and uh, have a brand new beginning. And so he scraped together the little bit of money that he had And he got himself a ticket on a steamboat that traveled all the way down the Ohio River to get him to New Orleans. And the problem was that by the time he paid for his ticket to get onto the steamboat, he didn't have any money left to buy any meals once he was on the boat. And so he pulled together some slices of bread that he had and some crackers and cheese and stuffed it in his pockets. And then he got onto the boat, beginning this trip that would take days for sure, probably even weeks to get him to where he wanted to go. Partway through the trip, as people were heading into the dining hall for dinner one night, someone stopped along the way and looked down at Boxer and said, Hey friend, where are you going? And Boxer looked up and he pointed at the dining hall and he said, I don't really know where I'm going, I just know that I'm not going in there. Why? Boxer looked up at this man and he said, Because I spent all my money to buy this ticket to get on this steamboat to go where I'm going, but... I don't have any money left, and so I've just got this bread and these crackers and these cheese that I've stuffed in my pockets, and I'm going to try and make it last until I get there. And the other gentleman looked quizzically at Boxer and said, well, why don't you pull out your ticket and take another look? So that's what he did. He pulled out his ticket, and he looked at the bottom at the very fine print where it said, all meals included. See, it's not that Boxer wasn't allowed to go into the dining hall. It's that he didn't realize that all of the benefits of the dining hall had already been purchased for him. See, sometimes as Christians, we tend to live that way, don't we? Sometimes we can slide through this life like we're trying to live on whatever it is that we've stuffed into our spiritual pockets without even realizing that there is an entire banquet that has already been purchased for us. Open your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. And today we continue on in our new series in this book of the Bible that some people over the ages have described as one of the most lofty and glorious pieces of literature ever written. And so as Paul is writing this, keep in mind that he's leaping out of the gates here with a heart that is full of praise to God because he realizes the fullness of the banquet that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And so he begins back in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, he is bursting at the seams with praise to God for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And Paul starts here by reaching into eternity past, and he says, this is what God has done for us. He has blessed us, he has chosen us, he has predestined us, he has adopted us. I mean, that alone is enough to change our lives. But the question then becomes this, how does everything that God has done for us in the past become a reality for us in the present? How does everything that God has done for us in the past become a reality for us in the present. Verses 7 through 10 answer that question. Verses 7 through 10 teach us how all of the spiritual blessings that God determined to give to us in eternity past are made possible for us today. 
So last week we began the series, we looked at identity past, all that God has done for us in eternity past. The title of today's message is simply this, Identity Present. It's part two in this little three-part series at the very beginning of Ephesians 1, Identity Present. So follow along in your Bible as I read Ephesians 1, starting at verse 7 and down through to verse 10. Paul writes in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to, the, to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, Keep in mind that when Paul begins this section back in verse 3, we said this last week, that this is one big, long, run-on sentence that goes all the way to the very end of verse 14. In the Greek language, there is no punctuation. So there's no periods, there's no commas, there's no exclamation marks. Those are all things that we've added in our English translations. So keep in mind that as Paul goes through verses 3 to 14, it's like he's priming the praise pump right here, right? Like he's pushing down. He wants to get the water flowing, get the praise flowing, and then he just unleashes this avalanche of praise to God. And so by the time we get to verse 7, it's like the avalanche is halfway down the mountain now, and it's just gaining momentum as it goes. So keep in mind that everything that Paul says here in this section is flowing out of this big idea that he lays down on the table at the beginning of verse 3. He says at the start of verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to bless God's name means to praise God for who he is. It means to declare the goodness of his name. And so our big idea today is the very same as it was last week. Because remember, Paul's going through this section. He hasn't come up for breath yet in verse 7. Right, So he's still going, so we're still going with him. And so here's our big idea again. As followers of Christ, our lives should pour out praise to God. As followers of Christ, our lives should pour out praise to God. And you'll notice here in verses 7 through 10 that because of Christ, God gives us three reasons why our lives should pour out praise to him. So we saw three reasons last week. We're going to see three reasons again here today. So let's start with this. You can write this down. Number one, our lives should pour out praise to God because in Christ, we are redeemed. Got to be an amen in the house somewhere, right? Okay, so hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me run down that runway one more time, okay? I'll give you lots of runway. Ready? Our lives should pour out praise to God because in Christ, we are redeemed. Amen. That was great. Okay, so look again at the first part of verse 7. Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood. So notice first the source of redemption. The source of redemption is in Christ. Jesus has been the focus of this section from the very beginning, as we observed last week. All of the spiritual blessings that we have in our lives right now are made possible for us because of Jesus Christ. And now Paul says that we have this blessing, the blessing of redemption, because of Christ. In fact, this reality of being in him, being in Christ, sweeps all the way through the book of Ephesians. That as believers, we are united to Christ 
through faith in his saving work for us so that when God looks upon you, he no longer sees the pollution of your sin. He sees the perfection of his son. We have been redeemed. And so he says, in Christ, in him, we have redemption. Now here's the thing. Why do we need redemption? Why do we need this redemption? Why is this even a need for us? We need redemption, the Bible says, because we were slaves to sin. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 6, 19 says that we were once slaves to impurity and lawlessness. We were slaves to sin. Romans 7, verse 14 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We were slaves to sin. Like we need to be redeemed because we were slaves to sin. And no matter how hard we tried, we cannot redeem ourselves. We need someone greater than us to make this redemption even possible. Which is great when you begin to understand the meaning of this word redemption. It's so rich. It means to pay a ransom in order to free a person from bondage. So redemption on its most simple level simply means this. It means deliverance through the payment of a price. Deliverance through the payment of a price. And and these people in Ephesus and, and in the province of Asia Minor where this letter was being circulated among a number of different churches, they would have understood this, this idea really, really well because the Roman Empire at that time had about 20 million people who were living as slaves at any given time. Like, just imagine that. So many people, like the Roman Empire was so powerful, they would just take over nations and and they would make the people within those nations slaves to their empire. Some commentators even believe that this number was upwards of 60 million people. Like, just slaves everywhere. Buying and selling slaves was a huge business. So if you had a friend or a family member who was living in slavery and you wanted to free that person from slavery, then you would buy them off of the slave market with the purpose of setting them free. In other words, you deliver them through the payment of a price. Now, let's, let's call a time out here. Let's, let's pause here. And I want you to try really, really hard to put yourself in the context right here of Ephesians chapter 1. Like, put yourself in the Bible. Put yourself in the Roman Empire at this time with the people that Paul is writing this letter to. And imagine that you're one of the 20 million slaves who are living in this Roman Empire at the time. And it doesn't seem to matter what you do. You cannot free yourself from slavery. Like you don't have, you never have enough money to buy yourself out. You can't seem to think of a way to get yourself out. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you cannot free yourself. But then one day, along comes this person that you've never met before. And maybe you've heard about this person, you don't know this person, but you know of this person, but you're a little bit surprised to find out that this person knows a lot about you. In fact, you can hear this person saying things like, they love you so much. You can hear this person saying things like, like they have known you for a really long time. You can hear them saying things like they know more about you than you realize that they know about you. And so this person then goes to your slave owner and says to them, here's my payment. I want to purchase that slave. And they point at you. 
So that person then gives the payment to your slave owner, and your slave owner then lets you go. But then, in a plot twist that you did not see coming, the person who just purchased you says to you, the reason that I purchased you is to set you free. You are no longer a slave. That is redemption. And Paul says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. We have been delivered through the payment of a price. Now, the question becomes this then. What exactly is the price? Well, notice what he says in verse 7. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. Like, the blood is the price. The blood is is necessary. Why? Because in order for redemption to happen, a price needs to be paid. And what is the price that needs to be paid? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin, the price of sin is what? Come on, talk to me. Death. It's death, right? Someone has to die to pay the price to deliver us from our slavery to sin. And when it comes to paying the price for my sin, there's only two options, me or Jesus. And the gospel makes it really clear that even if I died for my own sin, and even if you died for your own sin, that would still not be enough to please God. So God, in his grace and in his mercy, gives us Jesus to pay the full judgment of our sins, past, present, and future, on the cross. He takes the full judgment of God against all of our sins, and then, three days later, Jesus rises again from the dead in the resurrection undeniable and unparalleled victory over sin and death forever. And in the meantime, we live our lives trying to redeem ourselves at every turn and we fail at every turn. We fail miserably at every turn to redeem ourselves. And it's not until God shows us the depth of our sin and the height of his holiness that we also then see our desperate need to turn to this Savior in repentance and faith. And at that very moment that that happens, redemption then becomes our reality. See, that redemption is not possible unless it comes through his blood. See, when the, when the Bible talks like that, when Paul talks like that, like redemption through his blood, when the Bible talks about Jesus um, um, shedding his blood for our sins, when it talks about an animal being sacrificed and the blood of the animal being shed, it's, it's not just like talking like you cut the animal, it bleeds, and whoever happens to be close by gets redeemed. Like, that's not the way that it works. When, when the Bible talks about the shedding of blood, it's talking about the source of life. It's talking about the life itself. So when, when the blood is poured out, it's talking about the reality that the life is being poured out. The life is being given. So when Jesus sheds his blood, Jesus is giving his life. When we have redemption through his blood, it's because Jesus has given his life. And so ultimately what Paul is pointing to here in this verse is the reality that Jesus is our substitute. 
Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our Savior. See, friends, the thing is, you can talk about the gospel a thousand different ways, but you cannot talk about the gospel without talking about this. Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is my sacrifice. Jesus in my place. Jesus for my sins. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus has paid the price for me. That is the gospel. So don't miss now what what Paul's actually saying here in verse 7. He says, we have redemption. We have this redemption. Notice that. That's important. Just the way that he says that in the original language, it means that we have this redemption right now. And we're going to have this redemption still tomorrow. And we're going to have this redemption the day after that. And we're still going to have this redemption for all of eternity. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. This redemption is our present and forever possession in Jesus Christ. I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Do we have that up on the screen? We do, okay. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Isn't that interesting? Peter identifies the things that we instantly put our hope in, right? Like our silver, our gold, our money, our investments, our possessions, our retirement. And right away he says, you know. Like you know. It's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Listen, 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 friends. Do you understand what this means for your life? Like, do you understand the difference that this makes right now? In Christ, we have redemption from the empty way of life. When you were redeemed, you were set free. Set free from what? You were set free from sin. So listen, in Christ, you have been set free to live differently. Like you are not bound anymore to living your life under the slavery of sin. You have been set free to think differently. That means that your life right now is not defined by the failure of your past or the fear of your future. You have been set free to resist the lies of the devil and to fight all of his temptations. Why? Because in Christ, sin does not own you anymore. That sin does not own you. You have been set free from a past that has caused you shame and regret and guilt. Why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. You have been set free. Listen, you have been set free to live life in the power of God. You have been set free to live in the joy of Jesus Christ. You have been set free to live in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You have been set free to leave the lies of the world behind and to fully embrace the delight of your soul by walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. Why, why, why? Because you have been set free. You have been set free in Christ. And by being set free in Christ, you are then bound to Christ. And that's what gives you delight. Like that's what gives you the joy of your soul. You're looking for joy in this life. You're looking for happiness in this life. You're looking for fulfillment in this life. You're not going to find it until you're bound to Jesus. 
So, our lives should be pouring out praise to God because in Christ we are redeemed. The Israelites were running for their lives from Pharaoh and his army and in a miraculous display of his power. You remember that? God parts the waters of the Red Sea. You remember that? And, and God's people cross through on dry ground and they get safely to the other side when they're there on the other side in, in an amazing miracle again. God brings the waters of the Red Sea back down, swallows up Pharaoh's army. People are on the other side and they begin to do this. They begin to pour out their praise to God. In fact, Exodus 15 is the song of Moses and, and Moses writes this song of, of just praise and thanksgiving to God and he says in Exodus 15 verse 13, he says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. It's the same for us. Like Jesus has safely delivered us from the judgment of God. He has brought us to the other side. He has paid the price to set us free from our sin. And in his strength, God will bring us home. God will bring us to our eternal home. So reason number one, to pour out praise to God. In Christ, we are redeemed. Here's number two. Our lives should pour out praise to God because in Christ, we are forgiven. Okay, I should have warned you on that one. Another great place for an amen. Amen. Our lives should pour out praise to God because in Christ we are forgiven. Amen. Amen. All right, look at the second half of verse 7. Okay, Paul says, second half of verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Boy, isn't that good news? It's great news. All of our sins, listen, all of your sins, past, present, future, forgiven in Jesus Christ. That is good news. Listen, redemption and forgiveness are closely related, so close that forgiveness is like the natural result of redemption. That word forgiveness literally means to cancel a debt or to send away. And uh, the picture here behind it comes from the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would would take uh, two unblemished goats He would choose them and and he would kill one of the goats and spread its blood on the altar as a sacrifice. Again, the blood being poured out. And then he would put his hands on the head of the second goat as a symbol of laying the sins of the people upon that animal. And then he would take that goat so deep into the wilderness, like so deep into the wilderness that the goat would never be able to find its way back. And that was a symbol of the reality that the sins of the people were being taken so far away from them away from them, never to come back upon them again. The problem is that the people understood that they would have to keep doing this every year on the Day of Atonement because they knew that the blood of the animal would never be able to save them. Hebrews 10, verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Until, one day, God sends the greater sacrifice. And when Jesus came, he gave himself as the atonement for our sins. And all of our sins were placed on his head as a manner of speaking. And he carried our sins so far away that, that they, or, or the punishment that we deserve for them, would never return to us again. Just to help you understand the magnitude of, of what this means and, and what God's forgiveness has provided for us, Check this out. Psalm 103, verse 12. It says this. 
Psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Like, that's pretty amazing. This is a verse you might be familiar with. You might know this pretty well. Um, But I want us just to park here for a minute, and I want you to see the depth of what God is saying here. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Notice here that God does not say as far as the north is from the south. Have you ever thought about that? Like, why doesn't God say as far as the north is from the south? Because you can measure the distance from the North Pole to the South Pole. And, and just in case you're wondering, it's 13,832.88 kilometers from the North Pole to the South Pole. Okay? So aren't you glad that God doesn't say, as far as the North is from the South, I will remove your transgressions from you 13,832.88 kilometers. Like, aren't you glad God doesn't say that? Like, I don't know about you, but... A lifetime is more than enough to catch up to those sins, right? And so instead, God says, as far as the east is from the west. Why does he say that? Because the distance from east to west is immeasurable. It's infinite. It just keeps going and going and going and going. You can never go so far east that you get west. And you can never go so far west that you get east. It just keeps going and going and going and going. It's infinite. And so God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's amazing. How about this one? Isaiah 44, verse 22. God says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Like, think about this. God has blotted out your sins. He has covered them over so that they are no longer seen. You know what all this is? Like, you know what Psalm 103, verse 12 is? You know what Isaiah 44, verse 22 is? You know what this is? This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God expressed through his forgiveness. This, as Paul says here in this passage in Ephesians 1, this is the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Think about this. His grace is great enough to forgive any and every sin. Our sin will never outweigh God's ability to forgive it. Why? Because he's rich in grace. Because of the riches of his grace. And God takes the wealth of his grace and he pours it out on us. Like, just think about this. His grace. There's a bunch of us in the room who have been Christians for a long time. And, and it may be, in, in some sense, a little bit more important for us to sit up and pay attention to this because we're familiar with grace. We know about grace. We talk about grace. Grace, 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 grace. Praise God for his grace, right? And we thank the Lord for his grace. But sometimes we can talk about it so much that we forget about what it actually means. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is is God expressing kindness to us. Like Grace is God pouring out favor upon us that we have done nothing to deserve and nothing to earn. And so Paul says here now that out of God's grace, out of his kindness, he just lavishes this grace upon us. And it just keeps going and going and going. And like you've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it, and yet God keeps giving it. Right now, the wealthiest person in the world is Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon.com. 
as of two weeks ago, he was worth $109 billion. And it's hard for us to sit here and think, what do you even do with all that money? Some of us are thinking, I don't know, but I'd like to give it a try. And <laughs> like, like we can't even begin to imagine. And then, and then to think that God is exponentially and eternally more wealthy in his grace and he has no problems figuring out what to do with it. Like he just keeps pouring it out and and the fact that he lavishes it on us indicates that, that he has this super abundance of grace. It's like he keeps pouring buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of grace upon us over and over and over again. The problem with that illustration is that a bucket has a bottom, right? And eventually when you pour the stuff out of the bucket, the bucket's empty. But listen, God's grace bucket has no bottom, like it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring over and over and over. Like, do you understand that the grace of God is meant to be the theme of your life? Like every single day, God has lavished his grace on us so that we are forgiven of every sin, past, present, future. Like understand, God's grace is not just the song of your salvation. God's grace is the anthem of your existence Every single day of your life, God's grace, God's grace, amen, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, everywhere, everywhere on you. Now, maybe you're hearing this and, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, for, for as long as you can remember, you've been carrying around this sin from your past, this burden that you can't seem to let go of. And, and it feels to you sometimes like, like that sin, that burden, it, it just defines who you think you are. It's, it's shaped the way that you relate to other people. It's even shaped the way, in some sense, that you relate to God. And, and maybe you're sitting here right now, you're hearing this, and, and you're having a difficult time believing that God could ever forgive you of that thing in your past, that God could ever take away that burden that you carry around with you so much. Listen, listen. This is for somebody here this morning. I have no idea who. And it may be for a bunch of us here this morning. But, but somebody's got to sit up and listen to this. Because this, I, I say this to you in love. I say this to you based on the authority of God's word. I say this to you based on the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, God's word is saying to you this morning that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have been forgiven of your sins, then that sin that you have been carrying around for so long has been pushed so far away from you. It has been pushed farther away from you than you can ever begin to imagine, and it is not coming back. Why? Because you have been set free. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven of all of your trespasses, so understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not live in the poverty of your past shame. You do not live in the poverty of past regrets or failures. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not live in the poverty of your past sin. Today, here, right now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who is in Christ and who has been forgiven of every trespass, you need to understand that you do not live in the poverty of your past. You live in the riches of God's grace. Why? Because you have been forgiven. That's who you are. 
That's your identity. Your identity is rooted in the reality that you are redeemed in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. And then finally this, number three. Our lives should pour out praise to God because in Christ, we are part of God's greater plan. We are part of God's greater plan. Let's pick it up partway through verse eight. Paul says, in all wisdom and insight. Let's park here for a minute. Remember that this is helping us understand that in Christ we are part of God's greater plan. So when it comes to redemption and forgiveness, Paul says here, verse 8, that we have all wisdom. That is, God gives us a knowledge of eternal realities. So God helps us understand that, that we have been created in the image of a God who loves us. God helps us understand that, that we have fallen into sin and that it has consequences. God helps us understand that Jesus came and he died in our place and for our sins and he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin. He helps us understand that Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. God helps us understand that we must turn away from our sin and turn to Christ in faith. God helps us understand that one day Jesus is coming for us again. So it's not just that he gives us wisdom, it's that he also gives us insight. So if wisdom is a knowledge of eternal realities, then insight is an understanding of how to live our life in light of those eternal realities. Now, let me say that again because that's important. If wisdom is a knowledge of eternal realities, then insight is an understanding of how to live our life in light of those eternal realities. You have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And part of God's lavishing his grace upon you and me is that he gives us the wisdom and insight about how to live our life in light of those realities. So you know what that looks like? It means preaching to yourself. It's preaching the gospel to yourself. Listen, I am redeemed in Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven of all of my trespasses. Because I've been redeemed, it means that I've been bought with a price. And so, is it the best use of my life to keep dwelling on the sins of my past? No. No, that's not the best use of my life. So, instead, I'm not going to dwell on the sins of my past. Instead, I'm going to dwell on the salvation of my past that has brought me to today. That has brought me to where I am right now. Listen, I am redeemed in Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven of all of my trespasses. I have been bought with a price. So is it the best use of my life to keep filling my mind with impure images and desires? No. No, it's not. So instead of filling my mind with all of those things, instead I'm going to fill my mind with what is true and what is right and noble and pure and lovely and admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, I'm going to think about those things. I'm going to fill my mind with those things. Why? Because you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer owned by that sin. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You're in Christ. You're bound to him. Now think about this. Why is this wisdom and insight so important? Because verse 9, he goes on. He says, he's making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, 
It's not a mystery in the sense of having like a bunch of puzzle pieces on a table in front of you and you have to sit down and figure out how they all come together. It's not that kind of mystery. It's, it's a mystery in the sense of it's a secret that becomes known only when God reveals it. It's that kind of mystery. So the question now becomes, well, what's the mystery? What needs to be solved? And he's actually leading us to that answer. Verse 9, he says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Now, I want you to notice something really important here. I want you to notice all the way through this that God is in complete control of this. You see that? God's in complete control. Everything is moving forward on God's timeline, and it has been that way from the very beginning. God is the one who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. God is the one who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So now, jump ahead again. Look at verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of whose will? God's will. According to whose purpose? God's purpose. Which who set forth in Christ? God set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Now, when he talks here about the fullness of time, he's looking ahead, not just to the end of whatever problem he might be going through. Like his vision is not that short-sighted. Our vision cannot be that short-sighted. When he talks about the fullness of time, he's looking forward ahead into eternity. So he's saying here, when all of God's plans for humanity have come to their end, when everything that God has purposed to happen has happened, then, verse 10, he will unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. I love this. I love this. Look back one more time at verse 4. Verse 4 says that Paul, got, uh, Paul says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, jump ahead again to verse 10. Paul says that God has a plan for the fullness of time. You see it? Like, you smelling when I'm stepping in? Right? In the span of seven verses, Paul reaches into eternity past. And then he reaches all the way forward into eternity future to show us that God is in control of all of it. He's in control of all of it. And if God is in control of eternity past, and if God is in control of eternity future, then he is certainly in control of whatever you're going through right now. If he has the power over everything in eternity past, and he has the power over everything in eternity future to bring it to completion, then he most definitely has the power to give you exactly what you need as you go through your thing right now. Listen, all of God's plan hinges not on you. It hinges not on me. All of God's plan hinges on Christ in whom we have redemption. But notice, it's not just us who has redemption. God's plan, verse 10 says, is to unite all things in Christ. That word unite means to bring together and then present it as one. So one day, everything is going to find its total resolution in Christ. Why? Like, think about this. Follow with me here for a second. Why is it necessary for everything to be resolved in Christ? Well, two reasons for sure. First, because sin has ruined everything. Like you look around you, sin has ruined everything. Think about it. We live in a world that is not united. 
It is drastically divided, and it has been that way since the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fall into sin in the Garden of Eden, and all of a sudden, man is separated from God. They're divided. Go ahead to chapter 4 in Genesis, and Cain kills his brother Abel. And now, all of a sudden, man's not just separated from God, but now man is separated from one another. Fast forward now to Genesis chapter 11. The people build the Tower of Babel as a monument of their pride, and and God uh, gives consequences to them as a result of that and scatters them. And so now, they're not just separated from God, and they're not just separated from one another, but now they're even further separated from one another. And it just keeps going and going and going. It's the story of our existence. I mean, go home and turn on the news. People are sharply divided over race, gender, class, environment, sexuality, politics, just to name a few. Like, we live in a world that is painfully divided. So, why does everything need to be united in Christ? It needs to be united in Christ because sin has destroyed everything. Sin has ruined everything. But then the second reason is that everything needs to be resolved in Christ because everything is about Christ. Everything's about him. Like one day in Christ, all the wrongs will be made right. Think about that. Every matter is going to be resolved and everything will be put in its rightful place under submission to the king of the universe. It's interesting that when Paul wrote this letter, and, and he sent it to the church in Ephesus and to the province of Asia Minor, circulated around to a number of different churches in the area. It's interesting because there was a heresy circulating around that area that said there were other gods who could do this. That there were other gods who were going to bring all these things together, other, other gods, other people who were going to take away all the division and unite everybody. And Sound familiar to anybody? Right? Like, don't we hear so much of that today? And 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 there was this heresy going around saying that other gods are going to do this. And so Paul writes this letter now and says, no, 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 no. Only Jesus can do this. And only Jesus will do this. That's why Ephesians is so relevant for us today. Like it's almost like Paul could have written this letter to us, to this church right here in 2019, because we live in a world that tells us you just got to believe in yourself. Like, you just got to watch out for yourself. You can redeem yourself. You just got to forgive yourself. You just got to take care of yourself. Like, don't worry about how what you do is going to impact the people around you. Don't worry about that. You, you just need to take care of yourself. And what we fail to realize is that taking care of ourselves is what got us into this mess in the first place. Right? I mean, taking care of ourselves is the very reason that we need someone greater than ourselves to unite all things that have been divided. And only Jesus can do that. Like, look at what he says here. All things. All things, things in heaven and things on earth. Notice this, Jesus does not just redeem the totality of your life according to verse 7. He does that, yes, but look at verse 10. He will redeem the totality of the universe. And this is what the universe has been groaning for. Look at this, Romans 8, 22 and 23. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Like, we want this too. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, creation longs to be set free from its bondage to corruption. But how? How? How does that happen? Where does that redemption come from? 
That's why Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, speaking of Jesus, he says, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything brought to its rightful place in submission to the king of the universe. And it is that king of the universe who has redeemed you through his blood and forgiven all of your trespasses and has brought us in to this greater plan. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon your life. This is God's great plan, and the center of that great plan is his son who has died on the cross.